As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Jim Beglin's tidy reverse of the commentator's curse. The innocent joy of third choice keepers lifting trophies. What act of staying up is and isn't eligible to be called a great escape? Eric Ten Hag runs the Gary Cottrell gauntlet. Can we really accept James Beattie doing James Beattie things? A double guard of honour, the two types of footballing prowess, and a titanic Keyesian emphasis showdown. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 164 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, alongside me first of all is David Walker. How was your weekend? It was very good. I was at a wedding again, which seemed seemingly all I do with my life these days. Mm. Um, it was a, a lovely affair in, in Ibiza, of uh. all places, for my sins. Um, <laughs> and I had a conversation, which I told you about briefly over the weekend, um, with you know the standard conversation. Oh, so what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. The athletics still being in its relative infancy, you're never quite sure whether people are going to know what it is. Yeah. If they, are they going to like it if they do know what it is, all that mm. stuff. I went, oh, I work for um, a sort of football website. It's called The Athletic. I make podcasts. They went, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're talking to a subscriber here, mate. Do you work with Charlie Eccleshare? Oh, oh no. Not even a Spurs fan. He's a QBR fan. And he, of all the writers, doesn't listen to the pod. Picked out Charlie out of nowhere. Charlie did do a very good interview with, Cl- with uh, Clive Allen once, so maybe it's that. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Book deals, fans in Ibiza. Not happy with this. He's um, going global. Um, fortunately, he's not on today's pod. <laughs> no. His head wouldn't fit through the door. But um, filling in for him, it, for his 19th appearance on Football Clichés, taking him from Scott Parker to Paul Parker, 
in oh, wow. the England cap context. It's James Moore. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, you could have had, for your 19th cap, Danny Mills, uh, Leeds slash Manchester United's Alan Smith, Ryan Bertrand or Calvin Phillips. Danny Mills is quite a good one for me because Danny Mills in England is just that one World Cup, more or less, right? And I, a lot of my appearances will have been during the Euro, so that does kind of tally. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, Danny Mills it is. That's not fine. Well, good. Right, adjudication panel time. Let's start where we ought to start, with the final day of the Premier League season. Manchester City made hard work of clinching the title, uh, but Matt Cannell has pointed in the direction of Jim Beglin annihilating, and I like it when this happens, Jim Beglin annihilating the commentator's curse as Aston Villa take a shock lead at the Etihad. Maybe their best bet, you know, might be Dina or Cash. Two fullbacks are, are pushing up. Ramsey. Dina. Cash! The twist! The gut wrenching twist! Really, really tidy stuff here, Dave. I, I almost had an image of Jim Beglin sort of punching the air like a referee who's let an advantage go for a goal. He would have been really proud of himself. It was the, the tidiest dismantling of the commentator's curse I've ever seen. Absolutely. It was the, the reverse curse, really. And yeah, he's absolutely, it almost as if it's pre-recorded and he, he knows what's coming, which obviously it isn't. It's a spectacular piece of, piece of in-game analysis, down yeah. to a T. Yes, it's it. I mean, yeah, obviously, I, James, I'm focusing on the on the commentator's curse angle here, which is superficial, really. But this is this is pure co-commentary. This is exactly what they're there for, isn't it? I mean, you of, you do often see that thing that Dave has just alluded to, the suggestion that on match of the day, the commentary is, is kind of tweaked after the event, so they look <laughs> really clever. But this is the first time I've ever seen it offset of a game that was presumably shown live at the time. Yeah, it's, it's astonishing stuff. Lovely just to have Drury punctuating it at the end as well there. <laughs> Speaking of whom, um, as Manchester City clinched the title in those dramatic late scenes, Peter Drury's alliteration went right to the wire. Kevin De Bruyne! It's a shame Charlie isn't here because he would know exactly what that word meant. Yeah. <laughs> In Latin. I have, to say, I have to say, I wasn't expecting cacophonic. I don't um, know what, what, does, yeah, that what mean? does that mean. Yeah. It's, it's, the, um, it's the adjectival form of cacophony. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, hence the awkward uh, pronunciation. But he made it work and what a delivery it was. I know. Just, yeah, exactly. I could see when we were watching the clip and thinking, where's it coming? Where's it coming? Is he going to go for it? And pulls it out the bag. Yeah, I mean, in these situations, James, um, sometimes you you put your eyes on the clock here because you can almost you know, there's a, there's always a pause between yeah. his first delivery and then whatever he follows it up with, and you can almost hear you can almost see his alliteratometer 
building up, getting <laughs> surely, to full charge. Surely, in that situation, when you're commentating on a game like that, you kind of know that there's potential for there to be this kind of moment. And once it's gone to 2-2, two, two, he, mu- he must have kind of started to think at that point, I, I need to be ready for this. Yeah. So I don't think he should be putting himself under pressure, making that decision after the third goal. <laughs> he's got I mean, like, I mean, I know the goals all came very quickly, I guess, which maybe put him in a bit of a pickle. Mm. But he did have a bit longer than that to kind of get himself ready. I, I the, you know, the romantic in me likes to think that he really did just make it up in those yeah. final I don't, six I don't think I don't think he's quickly thumbing through the thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> and, he got to, and he got as far as C. <laughs> Done it, nailed it, got it, let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, fantastic. Meanwhile, at the Etihad, listener Scott says, is there a more wholesome moment in football, Dave, than the third choice keeper lifting a trophy? Scott Carson was loving his life this weekend. There is an innocence to it. They've kind of embraced it. I mean, everyone knows that third choice goalkeeper's role is to be good in the dressing room and to mm. be there when called upon. Um, it, it doesn't seem so much of a taboo them to be in the celebrations anymore so no Man City are concerned no I get it because it's just but you know it's more akin really to sort of like when they give the the kit man a go on the mm. trophy really because mm. he doesn't qualify for a medal right I mean he played once this season in the oh league? I think it's more of a discretionary thing these days there isn't a threshold for there's no threshold anymore. okay yeah. still but in my, in my mind there, there's still mm. in, in reality there is isn't there you know you, you yeah. know that you, whether you deserve the medal or not I am um, I also saw Richard Wright knocking about in the tunnel <laughs> James, <laughs> really? Just a, a man who I now consider to be permanently wearing an outfield Manchester City shirt waiting to pick up a trophy. I mean, if, if Scott Carson needed to turn to anyone to know what to do in that situation. And he was there last season as well, wasn't he, yeah. Carson? So this will be the second will be second time round for him. City are very good at getting all of the staff involved in these moments, aren't they? Shit, uh, literally everybody employed by the club out on the pitch. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? I quite like oh, it. Oh, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's no harm done. Weird when Pep... Wears an outfield shirt though. He had the shirt on while doing his interview with Gary Lineker on Match of the Day. Yeah, it looked like he was playing in a charity match or something. It does look sort of uncomfortable, like you know, like some lad has put it on him on a stag. Yeah, or something he's too skinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah one of those rare situations where a footballer gets skinnier after they've retired. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that happens. See, Dan's done the same thing. Like, it should go the other way. Anyway, um, Open United has an important question for us though, James. He said. Did City clinch the title with that late comeback? What are the factors that go into a title clinching? Can only be a last day of the season thing, surely. I'm not, I'm not, I'm fairly open about this. I think clinching is a fairly versatile term. You could clinch it with 10 games to go. You could clinch no, it I'm 20 sure points clear. Is clinching a particularly dramatic thing? I just thought it was a mathematical, you have won the title thing. It feels to me like there needs to have been, at least been a moment of it feeling like it was inevitable, which I guess has kind of been the case of City once we got to midweek this week where... They knew they just needed to win the last game. So, um, so you think clinching is a, is essentially like a rubber stamping, a, a confirmation something so, that was yeah. always going I to mean, happen? You, I, I think so. I think you need to have had a few days before the match of it feeling like it's likely to happen. Because okay. I don't think you would say, of, Liber- of uh, Arsenal in 1989, they clinched the title. It's I not dramatic a bit more, enough, it? It's not dramatic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it feels like it's a more emphatic thing when it, when it flips like that. Okay. I think so it has to have been like, you have to have been the favourite before the day. Okay, so there's two factors at play here, Dave. One, the inevitability of this thing happening and the manner in which it happened. Um, Open United seems to be claiming that, that clinch is a kind of dramatic thing that happens on the last day when it could go one way or the other. I, 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 again, I just don't feel like it's... I think it's more of a transaction. I, I do kind of see where it's coming from. I think clinching, it just suggests an element of... It's a sort of quick, a quickness, a sort of almost a, a slight, like desperate like could have got away from you but you've clinched yeah. it whereas i think 
if you were to win the title like they did last season at a canter, it's more of a seal. They'd, Manchester City sealed the title. I, I was waiting for seal. If you're winning in April, you've marched to the title, surely. That's the journey. That's the separate mm. thing. That's, that's the journey mm. to it. Um, oh, okay, but, fine. Okay. But yeah, I, I think the word seal is interesting here because you could seal three points in, in a similar fashion. Or does that have to be more of a more of a kind of early business done early situation? I just think it's, it's a, a, sealing le- a sealing is a less stressful, dramatic yeah. thing than a clinching. I think clinching. If they, if they won it, that it, game 2-0, I think then they've sealed the title. Yeah. To come back, to come back from 2-0 down to win 3-2, I think it's slightly more, a lot more dramatic. So sealing implies a... Job done well on the on, at the pivotal moment in yeah. the pivotal game. Like that time they beat West Ham in 2014, was it? I think they won two 0 So it'd be like that. That's a great ceiling. Uh, this was a clinch because it came down to an individual moment, yeah. and not the game itself. And and it's like quickly click click click. We've clinched it. We've got it. Mm. But yeah. they didn't snatch it. Liverpool would have snatched it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But Liverpool couldn't have clinched it, and they certainly couldn't have sealed it. No. That would have been Correct. weird. Liverpool sealed the title. No. Oh. Horrible. Thank you, Open United. Opening, opening a can of worms there. And we've sealed it back up. Cliches veteran Elizabeth Barnard writes in, Dave, very interesting one, this. She says, seen Leeds is staying up, described as a great escape on here, by which she means Twitter. It isn't, obviously, but I was wondering what the threshold is for a great escape, both numerically and vibe-wise. Let, let's deal with the first thing. Dave, was Leeds a great escape? Uh, I don't think so. Not really. In, not a great escape. Like in microcosm, sort of over the last few weeks, because it kind of looked like they were doomed. But I think bigger picture, the starting point for any great escape is where you bottom at Christmas. <laughs> spot, on. This. spot on. This is <laughs> <laughs> bottom at Christmas, the absolute benchmark for being shit. Uh, people are obsessed with being bottom at Christmas. Um, but yeah, James. So again, a bit like marching to the title. This is a this is a journey that you go on. This isn't just the final thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I I, I broadly agree with that point that Dave just made about being bottom at Christmas. But you at least have to be in the bottom three, and I'm not sure Leeds were. And Leeds weren't even in the bottom three. What they like kind of three? In the bottom three, didn't they? they no, did. but I mean, it, yeah. they haven't been in the bottom three since Christmas. Oh, okay, uh, they yeah. uh, sorry, not continually since Christmas. Yeah, They've yeah, been okay. in and out, mostly out, I think. Which to me, you know, they dipped in right at the end and kind of, you know, dipped their toes exactly. in the water. I'm not sure it quite... Because if you're in and out of prison, it's not the same as being held completely captive. Release. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or visiting someone else. Yeah. Yeah, the, feel, the, the Great Escape wouldn't have been as good if they were just allowed out every now and then. No. Just, just go visit their families. Would have been crap film. What are you digging a tunnel for? You're out tomorrow. I have to say, James, the phenomenon was also used for Everton in their dramatic win over Crystal Palace the other night. Uh, which which secured their Premier League status with a game to spare. So that's not a great yeah. escape either. I mean, yeah, it doesn't no feel matter how great. dramatic the game, it doesn't matter, does it? Can it be considered a great escape if it's a club as big as Everton? Like, it's almost like the expectation they should do it. This isn't like a dig at Lampard like we've had a lot of this week. Yeah, but it kind of feels like... Dimension, yeah. They sure. weren't actually in the bottom three that much. They were no. kind of constantly sort of they only went floating into it around once. just above. Right at the and end. I, yeah. I, I think again, a big club I, I, I can agree. make a great escape. It just, it just cannot apply here. They would need they to be didn't... way more. They need to be you need to be like kind of five or six points adrift, I think, and then yeah. and then get out from that position. Yeah. I don't think you can just kind of be dipping your toes in the water a couple of times Absolutely. and then saying, "Bang on, we've done Bang something on. amazing." It has right. to be really. Un- it has to look really unlikely. If Norwich yeah. or Watford had managed to turn around the deficit at any yes. point this season, then absolutely bang on great escape territory. But if you're just dipping in and out, even if you're even if you're one of th- even if you are in the bottom three for a while, but you're one of three teams that's all within like a few points of each other, it's not the same. I also mm. I also saw on a on a slight tangent, I also saw Everton post match 
on uh, Thursday being described as being in dreamland. <laughs> I mean, even allowing for the shifting context of it, it's not, it's not, no, dreamland is sacred. We've discussed this before. Mm. I can't have it. Not having it. And it's, it's a match specific thing, isn't it? Yeah, not happy with that. Dramatic scenes at Goodison last Thursday. Uh, proper, everyone involved, absolutely heart on sleeve situation. But <laughs> after, when I thought it had peaked with Frank Lampard dancing on the top of um, the roofs of the executive boxes in the main stand, he then got very, very weird with Seamus Coleman in the dressing room. This was real kind of 2am down, 2am uh, stag do situation. This fella, no, 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 this, this, this fella, this fella is uh, to say in front of everyone that one of the, be the best people I've ever met can, as a man, as a man of what you are, and as a death player. <laughs> <laughs> one of. What's your favourite bit of that? It's so good. I, I like all of it. Like, nah, 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 listen. nah, nah, nah. <laughs> listen, right? Right? I know we've only known each other for two days, right? But let me tell you, you are a top man. Having already established that Seamus Coleman is the best, James, Frank Lampard still going, nah, 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 the best. <laughs> nah, the best, the best. Which is the way he says, he says man and then oh, has no. to add player. Yeah, as, as a man. He said, like, as a man and a player. Which I'm, I mean, player. I'm not sure can be true given some of the players Lampard has played with. But no, you know, I think yeah, you're not one of the <laughs> you're not the best player ever. But you could <laughs> he could be the best man ever. We don't know him. No, something Maybe. very deep has happened there. No question. Um, like in all seriousness, something um, you know, um, there's a deep bond been forged there. There was another moment where I think Frank, Frank Lampard was posing for photos with Seamus Coleman's kids, and he sort of turned to them as mid photo and said, "Your dad is the best." <laughs> And I'm trying to think who would feel better in that moment. I think the kids must be beaming, but Lampard, yeah, fulfilling moment, no doubt. But amid all this relegation heroism, a note of caution from Chris Sutton on Five Live. So, you know, I understand all the positive thinking, but they got away with one. Uh, and I think I said last week, I worry for Leeds in the summer. I think it's a really interesting. But he's gone very, very early, oh. Dave, with the I fear for slash I worry for. I worry for Leeds. But maybe yeah. this is a good time to be doing it in the aftermath of, you know, after a relegation fight, which they've won, but also looked very dodgy at moments. It's probably the, a good time to be well actually in a team that have stayed up, isn't it? I don't know. I think because I, I just think that you would, if they went down, you would really worry for them. Really worry for them. Because they'd have you to worry sell for them. Burnley. Yeah, you worry you for, Burnley, for Burnley, right? I mean, yeah, you, you fear do. for Burnley. You, you do. do. But I think yeah. you would really fear for Leeds in terms of them taking so long to get back up. Such a big club, they'd have to sell their best players. They'd be less able to keep the team together than Burnley, or all that sort of thing. So I think in the context, whilst I understand where he's coming from, it's not necessarily going to be plain sailing for them. It doesn't feel quite right to say it at this moment. Yeah, has he gone a little bit early, James? Because, you know, give him a chance. But he also said ahead of the summer, which sort of, to me, implies that he's worried about them signing loads of crap players <laughs> rather than what they're going to do in the league next season. Possible. Which obviously uh, those two things are intrinsically linked, I guess. Yeah, yeah. just just getting his flag in the ground early, to, uh, to use a weaverism. Maybe his fears for Leeds stemmed from this. This was Jesse Marsh before the game at Brentford with a much maligned quote. He said... It would have been a lot easier if we were locked into the league already, but the fact we have to outpoint Burnley makes it very clear for us. A win gives us the best opportunity. There was a huge backlash, James, to the phrase outpoint. I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's a very tidy way of describing a situation that we often make quite a mangle of. I mean, what yeah, are the I traditional options here? 
yeah, get a better result than I guess. Like a better Which is is, ve- is very yeah. Is you're right? It's very clunky, and we all know exactly what he means when he says that. I can't think that there is another way that you would say that. There is, there's no kind of punchier, snappier way than than that. So maybe he's on something. It's very tidy, um, Dave. I mean. Americans are good at talking about sport. We have to admit this. They do it all the time. And in yeah. some cases, amid all the jargon, which a lot of which is really, really good, there are some just snappy phrases that I think we should adopt. And I'm all, I'm all for outpointing. I think it's fine. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It's, it's as succinct as you could possibly get, really. I think Marsh has been... He's been very careful not to let too much of this stuff creep into his, his press conferences and his interviews. And he's done a pretty good job on the whole because he, he knows that he knows that he'll get leapt on as soon as he mentions anything like that and no I think he's question. done a pretty good job of it I mean every time he speaks James I am I'm focusing on what he says it's just not out of a cliche impulse just out of this is an American talking about football he's going to say something that someone's going to go ooh can't say that and uh, it's it's uh, a little bit harsh but it just feels like an instinct for us so maybe we'll get over it for, for next season if he's still around yeah it kind of feels like we will get to a point where we do get bored of it and someone else will come along that we want to take the piss out of yeah. I wonder though I wonder whether they whether he he might relax a bit now. So he's been under real pressure, got to keep them up, still not trusted by certain sections of probably even the Leeds fan base, but the sort of wider footballing onlookers. Now he's done it, he's kept them up. Might we see him sort of just relax a bit in the summer and kind of, imp- which I don't think would be a bad thing, put a bit more of himself out there. Stamp his identity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, who is Jesse Marsh? We'll soon find out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. to your ears by the athletic this is football cliches very interesting observation um post match of the day 
James. Gareth Brennan writes and says, every match of the day should be done in the time of day chronological order that they do for the final day. 3.25, Newcastle lead at Fulham, sending them to 14th at time of goal. However, a goal at Villa Park <laughs> means they went back down to 15th. I'd be on board for this. It would work. The, I mean, the key thing here is, anyway. if there's a game on the Friday night or early on the Saturday, you're going to show like the full highlights <laughs> yes. of those games first yeah, and then exactly. go through the three o'clock and have the Got late game at it. the end. Yeah, too right. Why not? <laughs> what are you going to do with like manager interviews? Are you going to like stagger, like weave them all together them all in one once. big package? <laughs> Play them all at once. And then do all the analysis at the end so we can all go to bed. <laughs> Actually, that is perfect. He did this time and time again. And he did it too as well. Yeah, him, him and him. It would be a mess, wouldn't it, Dave? Uh, Gareth Brennan's talking out of his ass. <laughs> it, it would be quite funny just to see how it did unfold without the drama, without the without the jeopardy <laughs> or drama of the final day. Yeah, just just mundane. There's, a, there's three draws at three p.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in middle of November. Yeah, you'd never be able to keep check of all of the kind of ominous first yellow cards. Though that's the problem. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the real flow of the traditional flow of match that they would be in serious peril. And there'd also be no. Um, There'd be no crowd reaction <laughs> to like a goal's gone in at Brighton and the fans at Leeds, they really <laughs> did let the players know. You <laughs> should filter like, through the whole season. You see him like looking at his phone and just sort of shrugging. <laughs> Brighton is scored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They should just have the conversations at half time. Yeah, what are the scores? Uh, Brighton are one up. Uh, still nil at Chelsea, yeah. Right, on to other matters. We finally had the unveiling of Eric Ten Hag as the new Manchester United manager at Old Trafford. Get this, right? You won't believe this. He shook hands with the Manchester United correspondents from the press pack. Even some of the ones sat in the second row, James. That is so class. This is, that's honestly my worst nightmare. Like this, I, And I know, uh, I think it was Simon Peach from PA tweeted that he was in the front row. And you can see if you watch the video, he doesn't stand up because he's completely caught off guard by the fact that the manager of Manchester United has walked into the room and immediately gone to shake his hand. And that is my, one of my big fears, someone taking my hand, catching me out. Do you stand up or do you stay sat down? It's that, very you know, awkward to stay sat if you're, down. If you're a so. tall person like me and yeah. then suddenly you're looming over someone, it's yeah, a true. weird dynamic flip. Yeah, Christ. I uh, think... I think he didn't you, factor it in. I think you almost sort of have to half stand up. You have to make the gesture that you yeah. would be prepared to stand up and then sit straight back down again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, like you're like you're acknowledging um, uh, a lady leaving the table in the Victorian era. <laughs> exactly. exactly <laughs> yeah, that, exactly that level that, of yeah. getting upness. Uh, okay, if he, I haven't seen the video of this. So if he, I can get going along the front row and shaking everyone's hand. How did he shake the guy's hands in the second row did he go in between the two yeah, journalists they, they were leaning over i mean over the top through the but middle. i should say it did look like he wasn't expecting to shake the hands of the people in the second row but then because some people in the second row had kind of expectantly stood oh, up shake my hand please yeah yeah to oh, kind of go back to. along the second row but then I mean, what about the people in the third row i know yeah the camera I mean, where, where, do, you stop? They, where yeah. do you stop yeah amid all the planning for this power move dave i don't think he really thought um, about where this would have to end. Um, I mean, I mean, it's a shame that we're sat here analysing the analysis of it, but the whole thing is the whole thing is just very odd. It was really weird. <sighs> that we got to latch onto anything that they do at their unveiling as, yeah. as some sort of exposure to their character and their plans for Manchester well, United Football Club. It is a bold move, and and uh, does it set it? a pres- precedent? Why? Well, because it's, because like, I think Claudio Ranieri used to do this. He did this when he was at Leicester, and I think he did it every time. Okay, then, he, yeah, that would be weird. He, no, so is he, he going to do, do it every time. in a post-COVID world as well? That would be, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he needs to make sure he doesn't do it again. Otherwise, mm. then you are locked in. Because if he does it twice and doesn't do it a third time, 
Yeah. Why? I mean, good to see that he's building goodwill with the UK press, James, because they, they they will destroy him if they if they have to, of course. Um, but yeah, good to see that he's building these relationships, um, especially after he was hounded by Sky Sports' Gary Cotterill outside Selhurst Park after Manchester United's last game of the season. Yeah, can have a quick photo, Can we have a photo, please? Welcome to the Premier League, Eric. No, no, no. no, no Are you excited to get started? Are you excited to get started? You must be wanting to get stuck in straight away. Don't push me. You're on television. <laughs> Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good bit man having my security, Eric. <laughs> Monday like United, a big club. Are you going to resign, Foreign Secretary? Yeah. <laughs> he's actually, he's gone full Matt Allwright Rogue Traders Day. Um, but all done with a big grin on his face. What about all the people? What about their money? <laughs> <laughs> Did you threaten to overrule Ralph Randick? <laughs> what about those IX fans? <laughs> they can't celebrate their, their championship now. What are it's you going to a- do, Mr Ten Hag? <laughs> are you going to talk to me? I mean, it's it's very easy to get stuck into Gary Cottrell here, but but I think to, to be fair to him, it, it, that's his that's his job. <laughs> that's his that is the role that he plays. And Ten Hag could have he could have he, he could have just said one line to him, and then it's done. <laughs> and you don't need to send in the heavies. <laughs> <laughs> Don't push me. You're on television. <laughs> and he stuck to it. Like, if you're going to do it, that's how you do it. You keep yeah. going. You just stick your head under the security guard's arm and you just try and get get a word. I, I grudgingly accept, James, that this is an intrepid journalist attempting to do his his, uh, his straightforward job here, which is speak to a interesting public figure. But I really want this to continue. I want Ten Hag to never say a word to Gary Cottrell for as long <laughs> as he's Manchester United manager. I want it to carry on going. I want Just all handshakes in silence. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. Cottrell will be waiting outside his house like he was Mourinho, won't he? Waiting for that like debrief at the Helping end of the Helping him start. to unpack his car, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely insane. If we thought this was as absurd as Eric Ten Hag's early days as Manchester United manager had got, think again, because uh, we've had some body language analysis done on his first press conference as Manchester United manager. And it is, of course, it has been undertaking by Judy Bloody James, who used to do the body language analysis on Big Brother back in 2001. She's the only body language analysis person in the UK, it seems to me. Of course she's done this. Um, Would you like to hear some of her analysis of Eric Ten Hag's? Absolutely. Uh, Dave, you can have this first one. His first pose retains a sense of control of the situation. His charisma looks almost theatrical as he lifts his right hand like a magician as he says, I want to achieve success. This pretty obvious statement is followed hang on, by a hang mouth. On. Let, hang on, let's stop right there for, for a start. What do you mean, lifting your hand like a magician? What, do you, like, <laughs> like, like he had a wand? I don't know. <laughs> Abracadabra. I, I don't know. Easy um, whizzy, let's get busy. This pretty obvious statement, she says, is followed by a mouth clamp and a curt nod to suggest he is firmly in control of the meeting and his new club's destiny. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to do over-analysis, this is the place to cover it. But my goodness... What an absolute shambles this profession is. Uh, I just can't... Surely he closed his mouth because he'd finished speaking. <laughs> yeah. It was a mouth clamp. I mean, that's what that means, right? Surely. Yeah, I think I, I interpreted more, mouth clamp closing as, of the mouth. as that sort of thing that Alan Shearer does after he stopped talking in Match of the Day, where he sort of made a very nice, very sort of solid point and goes... Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, okay. So maybe that was the mouth clamp she was talking about. But yeah, complete bollocks already. James, this is one for you. Just over two minutes in... 
He says the plan is huge, shaking his head as he waves his arms around, starting high to either side of his head. This method of miming measurement also looks lacking in precision and suggests work in progress rather than anything concise and detailed. <laughs> this actually I mean, does he didn't now like sound like... Hold his arms out in a very specific place to say, we're going to be the biggest club in the world and it's going to be roughly this big. Shaking his hands either side of his head sounds like he's doing the dance from tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> Next up. Shortly after, his left hand waves in circles, again suggesting a lack of precision and clarity. He then raises his hand to chest level with the back of the hand facing the cameras. I can't keep up with this! Suggesting a barrier ritual that really would imply he's keeping things close to his chest. Oh, Dave, body language experts love a barrier. Anything that could possibly be construed yeah. as something stopping someone getting to you. They love that. Yeah. It's all kind bullshit. of cricket umpire stuff. It sort of feels like what long finger in the air waving round, other hands doing... I mean, what is the... I don't know, I don't know about cricket to work out. I mean, it's just all very bizarre. Yeah. Almost yeah. like they're scraping the barrel. I mean, he was shaking hands with, with row two a minute ago. Yeah. Now he's already put the barriers up. <laughs> no analysis of that, I know. <laughs> no. no. Oh, he shook a man's hand, suggesting that... Uh... Anyway, last one. Three and a half minutes into the press conference, James, he starts to use counting gestures on his thumb and two of his fingers to make his points, which would suggest more precision when he talks about his stages of action, although his mouth shrugs rather diminish the importance of these points. A mouth shrug? A mouth shrug. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah, I can't work out what that could possibly be. Is that not a smile? I think a mouth shrug to me would be like someone going. Oh, it's like that oh, emoji. Okay. Yeah, it's an yeah, emoji yeah. that's like, yeah, you, your mouth sort of out to one side, it's suggesting sort of doubt. A, not sure mm, about this face. Yeah, yeah. But he was counting on his thumb and fingers, though. So I'm Incredible so sorry, dexterity. Eric. I'm so sorry about all of this. It does get worse from here, by the way. <laughs> poor bloke. Poor, poor guy. I'm not saying he wasn't prepared for this. He's not a stupid man, but my God, we've gone we've gone full guns straight away, haven't we? We have. Yeah. I don't remember them doing this for Mourinho or Solskjaer or Van Gaal. It seems like they've brought this back. I haven't heard this for a, this sort of stuff for quite a long time. Yeah. Is it because he's a bit more sort of exotic in that we don't know as much about him? Like all those other guys were massive figures before mm. we got the job. Even just, Van Gaal, who hadn't been in England, but everyone knew who he was. Yeah. With Ten Hag, is a bit more, feels a little bit more left field. And I know yeah. he's managed Ajax to a Champions League semi-final and whatever. It's not like he's niche. No. But to, I think to a, to a wider audience, he's probably a bit of an unknown. I also think, James, that his, <laughs> his perceived defensiveness already, like refusing to talk to Cottrell and understandably not wanting to do anything public until he'd severed his ties with Ajax and had been officially announced, all that sort of stuff. I think that kind of gave them a kind of a foot through the door of getting a, having being able to have a go at him because he, he yeah. was already on the kind of back foot. It's Is that a, fair? It's a bit snidey, isn't it? But I love that idea, James, if to take your point on. Okay, so we don't know, you know, we've got to remember, guys, think of the audience, right? A lot of the lot of our readers, a lot of our listeners, they don't know who this guy is. So how can we, we could do a profile feature, body language. <laughs> body language. <laughs> in this specific three-minute window. Eric Ten Hag walking into the Big Brother house. His body language when he sat down in front of a room full of journalists. Yeah, <laughs> tough gig, tough gig. Let's move on to uh, well-worn territory here. George Hall writes in, Dave, and says, I've just heard Tony Adams at Cheltenham Town Hall for a live show, and he said, what a back four we were, by the way, about the classic Arsenal 90s defence. Can you buy the way yourself? George Hall asks. I think, we should, I think this is kind of diplomatic immunity for this. Well, well, haven't we... The, the, the one previous time that we questioned whether you can buy the way yourself, was it not Martin Keown? 
I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because he was. It was about Everton fans asking him to get his boots on for the game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a distant cousin of that. So we are moving through the Arsenal back four here, aren't we? Um, don't know what Steve Bold has to say about this. I mean, whether or not you can do it to yourself is a different question. But that Arsenal back four, I would say fairly definitively, are recognised as the best defensive unit in the history of English football, broadly speaking. So you don't need to say that about them. That's kind of a given, isn't it? You could actually... James, this is a fair point. You could say mm. that they transcend, by the way. And, you wouldn't and it say, also... like, oh, Lionel Messi, what a player he is or was, by the way, would yeah. you? Yeah. The sort yeah. of principle's the same. I, yeah, I think you're spot on there, actually, because you might... I can't... I'm trying to think of, like, <laughs> which is kind of the whole point, but what's, like, a less heralded back four, but were actually really good? So, I don't know. Chelsea, 2005 06. <laughs> <laughs> what a back four they were, by the way. Yeah, but at the same time, though, Dave, this is this is pure speaking tour filler, isn't it? You have to say little things like that, little throwaway lines. Yeah. What a back I, four we were, by the way. But I'd love to know the sort of wider context of what's the question, what what's the lead in? Because it's almost like that is almost, it's, it's an aside, isn't it? It's sort of, yeah. oh, what a back four. Like, we're not talking about that anyway or what like, <laughs> exactly it can't really be like okay. a tangential thing if you go and watch yeah. Tony Adams doing after the dinner speaking, yeah. you don't expect Arsenal's success in the early 90s to sort of be way down the list of things he talks about no I think I would have been right at the start um, no I think I'm, I think I'm kind of happy with this given that there are three other people involved I think it's just about alright is, um, is Keown in the back four I'm never, I'm never sure really is it Bold is Bold in the I back think four Bold is, is part of the original lineup, mm. and you know the the George Graham offside trap and all that sort of stuff. That was that was Steve Bold rather than rather than Keown. But with the rope, yeah. The thing with the rope and the yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wonder how many people think that Keown is actually part of that back four. Like historically, don't know. Maybe this one's a bit more of a clear cut case. James Gavin Curry writes in all the way from Australia. Pre-match at the Scottish Cup final on Saturday, it was described by the commentator on Be in Sports to be poisedly set. <laughs> I get what he meant, but I'm simply not having it. I like it. Again, you know exactly what it means. Poisedly set. Hang on, so hang on. So which two? So he's got delicately poised. Yeah, finely and poised. Where's the set come from? What's the? What am I missing here? What's the? I guess that maybe it's kind of got intertwined with you know the stage is set because this was just before oh, the game kicked off. Okay. So we got to poisedly set. I well, like it's quite it. a good way of like mashing those two things together to save a bit of time, I guess. This yeah. game, Dave, is poisedly set. But poisedly just doesn't, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound right, does it? I and mean, it's like one of those words it shouldn't, it doesn't sound like it should be a word, but it obviously is. I mean, I don't think it is a word, is it? Poisedly, surely not. Poisedly, poisedly, mm. poisedly, poisedly. I think that's the reason it doesn't sound like a word. Mm. Yeah, I sadly don't have the audio to corroborate this, uh, nor did I have the audio at first, to corroborate this claim from Tim Nixon, who said that during the Manchester City-Aston Villa game in the early stages, Gary Neville was talking about um, Robin Olsen in the Villa goal and said he was lacking match startness. <laughs> and it took start. me right up until Tuesday morning for me to actually get the footage from the game to, to find out. And it turns out he just said match sharpness. Really disappointed. Uh, but match startness, again, would have been really good. I feel like match startness could be a thing. You know, match fitness... Match sharpness, match startness. Yeah, it's very Jesse Marsh, Lacking isn't it? Match startness. <laughs> yeah, it could like winningest and startness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they could be they could be Americanisms, definitely. Um, but yeah, it turned out it wasn't the case. Right, next up, Dave. I've always been very impressed by the um, the democratic nature of the Premier League's goal of the day on their Twitter feed. They'll pick anything from any season. It really is a complete tombola. Yeah. 
yeah. of, of goals. It isn't just Thierry Henry's vo- you know, flick and volley against absolutely. Manchester United. It'll be absolutely anything. Yeah. I love it because every now and again, every now and again, they'll pick a not even that good goal from Watford's 2006-7 Premier League season. Everyone gets a go. Yeah, That's, yeah. What I want to know is, and I'm going to find out, who decides what goal is going to be that day? Is there some sort of spreadsheet going on? Do they have to make sure that all, however many clubs that have ever been in the Premier League are equally represented? Bloody, bloody, blah, blah. I would love to know. Someone get in touch. But the other day, they tweeted a goal from around the turn of the millennium, I guess. Uh, Francis Benali pinging a lovely set piece to the back post where um, where James Beattie volleyed it, sort of volley lob into the into the far top left corner. And the caption went as follows, vintage James Beattie doing vintage <laughs> James Beattie things. <laughs> now, as much as I admire the output, I refuse to accept that James Beattie circa 1998-99 is worthy of a doing James Beattie things. The use of vintage around football is quite interesting, isn't it? Because it because it really feels like it should have been like you know something we say about Zlatan now, but in reality, it should actually be something that's happened ages ago. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, sort of classic. Yeah, but but, but yeah, that's right, Beatty. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, he was a, a decent Premier League striker, but I don't think he's quite in the realm of. Uh, we don't. He can't have James Beatty doing James Beatty things. Oh, I but, think uh, of him headbutting could... William Gallas in the back of the head for Everton. <laughs> Is that James Beattie doing James Beattie things? I think of him flattering to deceive uh, in an England friendly when finally given a chance. <laughs> yeah. is, that's James Beattie doing James Beattie things. James Beattie things. He had, no, he had an eye for a spectacular goal. I mean, we, we, yeah. should, we should give him that. And it, and it is a very impressive goal. It's a, a very unusual looking goal, but I'm just not having it as a player X doing player X things. I've got him down more as someone who sort, you know, like a pretty powerful shot into the top corner from 20 yards. There's one against guy. Chelsea, a free kick against Chelsea that he absolutely yeah. larraps into the top corner. Not like a deft lob sort of man, no, is what you not. just described. Let, let's get to the bottom of this then. James, what would you say is the lower threshold for Player X doing Player X things? I would say I would accept it for like an up-and-coming Europa League level League 1 forward who has been impressing this season. Because it's a little nod to the kind of to the, to the kind of connoisseurs, isn't it? Yeah, it's very it is very internet, isn't it? It's very Twitter. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like it could be someone who's been linked with big English clubs by or, or suggested by sort of football geeks on Twitter that this guy should be moving to the Premier League. It kind of feels like that kind of realm of player could be. Yeah, I think you would see that like from the official Europa League account or something. Yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. But I, I, I. That I would still say that's slightly dubious. I could see it with Haaland. I think early oh, yeah, Haaland doing yeah. Erling Haaland because he, he's a very distinctive player yeah. as well. But in a Premier League context, I, w- I would put the the low bar at say Maxwell Cornet. Maxwell Cornet doing Maxwell no. Cornet. What, what about Sa- no Sam Maximan? No. Sam Maximan definitely. <laughs> Sam Maximan. Yes. Where he does fifteen stepovers and then kind yes. of the defender just falls over. Yeah, that is definitely in that realm. Yeah, a James Ward Price free kick definitely. Mm. What's Cornet's thing? Exactly. <laughs> but when I was watching Match of the Day the other night and he scored that goal for, for Burnley on Sunday, I was immediately thinking, right, he's been all right, isn't he, in fits and starts this season, probably going to get a move. It is absolutely impossible to imagine him in any other shirt than Aston Villa or West Ham. It's just the claret. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. They could pick him up and it and everyone would just see, well, yeah, 
And then no one barely noticed that he's uh, I just think it's, a new club. It's something powerful about that shirt. The triumvirate of those three clubs. I could just any you could swap any of those players from any of those clubs. Burnley slightly less so, I suppose, but it kind of would make sense. Not sure how you two feel about this. Last Friday, Copa del Rey winners Real Betis visited the Bernabeu and were given a guard of honour by Real Madrid <laughs> and then returned the gesture instantly. Oh my god, what? So so let me let me just run you through the mechanics of this. Real Madrid stood either side, allowing Real Betis a guard of honour. All the players walk through, then formed their own guard of honour and their Real Madrid guard of honour collapsed into a line and then walked through the subsequent guard of honour. Like a, like like a snake eating itself. That is bizarre. I don't, I'm not sure about that. What was the chronology of those two winning those two trophies? Had Madrid won the league before Betis won the <laughs> cup? I think they had, yeah. They won it quite early this season, didn't they? What, see, are we talking about sealing or clinching? They sealed they, they sealed La Liga right. yeah. with, with time to spare this season. But I think what overrides the chronology, James, is the fact that, that Real Madrid were the hosts. So it's kind of like a nice thing to do, right? You do it first and then and then the other team perform it back to you. But uh, how do we feel about a double guard of honour is, is my main point. Dave, slightly disgusted. Yeah, weird. I just can't... It, 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 sort of impressive in a way, actually, that, that, they've, that they've managed to do it, pull it off. Mm. You know, get the sort of choreography of it, of it oh, right. Yeah. Can it's we just easy. confirm it's like an opening ceremony of, a, of an Olympics? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just confirm that it's not a, a nice or classy touch because it involves the two sides? So it's kind of a mutually assured compliment. That I, kind of you can't say that one's classier than the other, can you? It's I a shaking hands emoji on Twitter. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it what it is. Yeah, yeah. James, but I, I would posit that the second guard of honor is less is less um, prestigious than the first. Right, I'd I mean, so. the second one would just feel like an afterthought. There's, there's going to be a, a raggedness to it. Yeah, Not I was going to say, I'd, I'd be interested to know whether that was pre-planned or a sort of an impromptu thing. Who knows in La Liga these days? Great question here from the Career We Go podcast. Can one have prowess in any department other than aerial, James? I think you can have goal-scoring prowess, but I think that might be it. Maybe. Can we, and just to dial back a little bit, the aerial prowess is that only at one end of the pitch, or is it at both? You, Defensively, you, I'm not sure. I think you hear it more as an attacking thing rather than defensive, don't you? Yeah, I would. I think you're right. I think you can't have aerial prowess as a centre half who be who be heading things clear. Let's have a look at the dictionary definition of prowess because it, maybe it's more detailed than I thought. Skill or expertise in a particular activity or field. Nothing. It can be good there. in good in both boxes. In the air. Yeah. 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 Prowess. It's interesting prowess. that only applies to that one very specific element of. And as we know, there are two very different approaches to heading a ball. But yeah. you would have thought, you know... It's true. Broadly speaking, players that are good at one are sort of okay at the other. Yeah. But you can't have midfield prowess, can you, Dave? You can't, no. you can't have creative prowess. But I think for the defensive thing, it's sort of taken... Should be taken as red. If you're yeah. a centre-half, that you should yeah, have aerial true. prowess That's in true. your locker. That is true. That's true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, prowess is perhaps a bit too much for that context. But yeah, very narrow thing. You can have aerial prowess and you can have goal-scoring prowess. There are no other prowesses in football. It's time for the very final Keys and Grey Corner of 2021-2022. <laughs> Sunday. I say possibly the final one of the season, James, because they're off on their summer break. 
I don't know where they'd be going. I mean, Qatar well, itself to, yeah. is, seems like a, something of a holiday destination in its own right. So I don't know where they're off to, but um, they've declared on their podcast that uh, that's the last of the season. So there might not be too much gold forthcoming. But still, we party at off. different times. <laughs> Big Sanos this summer. Huge Sanos. <laughs> Massive Sanos. Right. First up, this is Keys and Gray discussing uh, Son Heung Min and Mohamed Salah sharing the golden boot. And getting into a sort of analysis you really only hear on the Football Clichés podcast, actually. And Son, with a golden boot, uh, the other one, <laughs> the left one, do you think? We'll go to Mo Salah. <laughs> I'm wonder- do you know what I've always wondered? Whether there is a left or a right. Or well, it should just, be. Or if it just points straight down the middle. Because <laughs> ah. it's his left foot that scored most of the goals. Yeah. It? There we are, there's the boot. Oh, it is a left one. Was it? Yeah, look, you can see from there. Oh, yeah. Well, they, I mean, no, nah, I mean, it's just a boot, isn't it? No, significantly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a left boot. <laughs> it's, a, okay. it's, ama- it's amazing this has come up because I have actually asked Gary Lineker about this before. Mm. Um, and he, of course, has his golden boot from, what, 86, I guess, the World yeah. Cup. Uh, and I asked him whether or not it was a left, whether it was a left boot or a right boot. And he claimed that it was like a straight boot, like a, a sort of neutral boot that I just know. went straight down the middle. So, is that right? Yeah. So this is a very weird trajectory for this item. It's gone from look at these two dickheads talking about something that's complete nonsense, then to start to, as it went on. Oh yeah, it, me actually, this sounds that. like it's something we exactly like something we would talk about on the Football Clichés podcast. And then <laughs> it got to the point where I was analysing like blown up Getty images of Son Heung Min's golden boot to find out if it is indeed a left or right. And I can't figure it out. They, they've somehow, like optical illusion, Dave, they've made a boot that is kind of, I don't know, neutral. <laughs> <laughs> the ambidextrous boot. The middle boot. It's very hard to tell whether it's left or right. Yeah. Probably for the best. But, you know, thanks to Keys and Gray for, for highlighting this. It's very important. Well, it's pointing, it's pointing the heel is on the, as you look at it, is on the right-hand end of the little yes. plinth yeah so in theory if you think about that you would see the outside of the boot like in a shop on the shelves you'd have the outside you'd yeah. have the, you wouldn't have the inside yeah. of the boot facing out would you so it should be a left boot this is actually fairly good logic actually mm. yeah. yeah that makes sense the outside of the shoe should be the one on display mm. okay and there it is left boot it is then both of them uh congratulations to them both um next up mike dean of course retired from Premier League life at the weekend, and he earned perhaps the classic mid-range Keys and Grey accolade. Uh, Let's not forget a significant day for a number of our retiring first-class referees as well. Yes. And not least Mike Dean, who's, I was going to say not everybody's favourite. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, Nobody's favourite would be more accurate, (laughs) wouldn't it? But he's had a colourful contribution. He is. He's his own favourite. And we should wish him well. We do wish him well. We do. Do you? (laughs) He's on the first plane out there, by the way, Dino, isn't he? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Uh, You know, we said the other day, Dave, that um, earning a big man from Keys and Grey was like getting an MBE. I think getting wished well, that's like a lifetime achievement award, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't mean they like you, but it means they nah. accept you. They've just spent 25 seconds absolutely coating him and then <laughs> said, oh, but, but we do wish him well. Yeah. It means that they... Andy Gray, of... Santa Gorn, he's his own favourite. He's his own favourite. It means they understand why he exists, but they don't have to like him, but they do wish him well. How many people they must have wished well in the past? 
uh, hall of shame, no doubt. Um, this theme continued, though, James, once Richard Keyes had caught wind of the fact that there will be no English VARs at the World Cup. Oh, like a dog with a bone. And I think that speaks volumes that the, the FIFA oh, I think said, it's damning. We, we, we don't want you boys. There you are, mate. You've done a brilliant job. Yeah. None of your, none of your boys are going, well done, Michael. Are going to the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that that's exactly how FIFA would communicate it. None of your boys are going. Nope. No, sorry. Dear Michael. It's Michael amazing, Riley. <laughs> none of your boys are going. It's amazing. In Andy Gray's world... There are basically the boys, and then there are people who are not the boys, <laughs> and that's it. That's it. That's the dichotomy. All the VARs, the all the VARs in the dressing room, being told by Mike Riley, looking despondent. You, you boys, you're not going. Um, honestly, it's incredible preoccupation that they have with Mike Riley and his boys. Finally, for Keys and Grey Corner for this season, a tremendous showdown, but too tough to call on paper. So we're going to have to play it in full. Um, quite simply, it is Nadine Dorries versus Salomon Rondon in the said by Richard Keyes Classico. Who wins? You decide. Nadine Doris is Salomon Rondon. Nadine Doris is Salomon Rondon. Nadine Doris is Salomon Rondon. Which is the stronger Nadine one Doris here, James? Which is the more Keyesian? Nadine Doris is Salomon <laughs> Rondon. <laughs> Nadine Doris is Salomon Rondon. Nadine Doris uh, is Salomon Rondon. I mean, Nadine, Nadine Doris, Doris, Doris as he says it. Nadine I mean, uh, that's just is incorrect, isn't it, the pronunciation. So uh, that is funny. Yeah. But the 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 way Rondon Nadine Doris is Salomon Rondon Nadine Doris is Salomon Rondon Nadine very, Doris it's a very nice rhythm to that I yeah. like that Salomon a lot Rondon I think Nadine Doris Nadine takes it Doris. just with pure emphasis I think that I think, is the more but there's a, I, I, I think the key thing is that anyone saying Salomon Rondon would sound good because yeah. of the rhythm of that name it always sounds good hmm. but there's a burning intensity to the way he says Salomon yeah it is Rondon. it's more key it's definitely a lot more keys yeah it's a tough one. <laughs> But uh, good to end it on a cliffhanger, isn't it, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) Nadine Doris is Salomon Rondon. And there it is. There it is. Yeah, Keys and Gray might be taking the summer off, but the Football Clichés podcast sort of won't be. Uh, We're going to be around for at least one episode a week, won't we, Dave, with the adjudication panel. There's plenty of material to go around, surely. Yes. I think some. we've got a few guests lined up over the summer as well, so we'll still have some Mesut Harland dicks, plus, uh, uh, you know, at least one... Uh, episode a week so yeah we'll, yeah, we'll still be, be here yeah we'll be liberally dropping in the mhds throughout the summer but yeah rest assured the adjudication panel is going nowhere thank you very much james moore cap number 19 see you for number 20 sometime soon thank you adam and cheers to you dave walker no more weddings i hope uh no i do have a stag do at the weekend and then a wedding Midweek wedding next week. <laughs> Channel <So>. five. <laughs> it's that time and, of the season, you've and, got to squeeze. And, you've got to fit them in somewhere. Honestly, honestly, guess where it is. Guess where it is. Stockley Park. No. Uh, Stoke. Seville. Bro, it's Stoke. the Europa League. Hot it is. It really is. <laughs> um, good luck to you. Hope you get on better than Rangers did. Cheers to everyone for listening. See you next time. Don't push me. You're on television. The Athletic.